Good morning. Morning. You guys, I was so encouraged when we were singing this morning. I was like, we don't even have a lot of our college students here. And we sounded good, you guys. Y'all were loud. I could hear you singing. And I loved getting to share that time with you. Um, and so, yeah, I just think we have really grown a lot in our ability to worship together. And I think that's really exciting. A couple of weeks ago, which seems like forever now, um, Brad kicked off our sermon series on prayer that we're going to do this fall. If you haven't been with us before, we have non-student adult small groups that meet. And in those groups, we are also talking about prayer. But our students are in different groups, and they are not talking specifically about that. I'm sure they talk about prayer, but not specifically about it in their groups. But the sermon series will be such that you can learn and grow from it, whether or not you're in an adult small group where we're going through this curriculum. So when have you felt alone? Is it when you've lost a loved one? Is it when you faced a long-term illness? Is it when you had financial difficulties that you had no way to solve? The personal rejection of someone you love? Assessing that you don't have what it takes to face what you can't get away from? There are a lot of times when we feel alone and we feel lonely. And maybe it's not even that we feel lonely, but we just want someone to be with us. We just want to have someone to walk through something with us. When I first met Hannah Weaver, it was during COVID in 2020, and it was during shutdown. And a lot of people were pretty lonely at that time, but Darby Cleveland had called and asked me, if I would talk to Hannah because she was feeling pretty lonely. A lot of her roommates had gone home to be with family during that time. And so she was, um, she really didn't have anybody to talk to and she was feeling pretty sad and down. Now, Hannah and I did not know each other at all. We had never met before then. And so I FaceTimed her and we just started talking and we talked about how isolating it was we talked about scriptures, we prayed together. And also in God's goodness, these two women who have never met before, don't know each other at all, start talking and find out that I grew that she grew up two miles from where I grew up, that we both graduated from the same high school, very far apart <laughs> in age, in time. Like, I don't think she was born when I graduated from high school, but God just created such a sweet connection there between the two of us. But it's hard to be lonely. You just want the presence of someone else there with you. And I don't know if you're experiencing loneliness right now, but I want to assure you that the Lord is near. And even if you're not lonely, the same is true. The Lord is near. And in learning about prayer, it's essential that we believe that. It's essential that we believe that the Lord is near to us. I want to read from Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Josh and I are going to use this scripture as a jumping off point for our sermons. Mine today is going to be about the Lord is near. His next week is going to be about how we should speak to God in every situation, present our request to God in every situation. So this phrase, the Lord is near, the Greek for this phrase is kurios egus. And like its English counterpart, egus can be understood spatially and it can be understood related to time. Spatially, the word means near or close at hand. Therefore, near signifies that the Lord is close to or present with the Philippians. In a way that relates to time, it means that Jesus' second coming is imminent. The early Christians would often say Maranatha to one another, come, Lord, come. Both understandings of the word are correct. Paul probably intended to use both ideas of time and space when he used the word agus. The Lord whose return is close is also continually near his people. The Lord whose return is close is also continually near his people. So who is God near to? In this specific passage, God is near to the Philippians. But if we look at the story of the whole Bible and we look at other specific scriptures, we'll see very quickly that the Lord is near to all of us who call on him. And the good news about that is that God is attracted to broken, sinful, self-righteous people. And Don kind of mentioned that in his testimony. We don't have to clean up our act before God will come near. If that were the case, none of us could be in God's presence because we're incapable of cleaning ourselves up. But when we believe that Jesus did what was necessary to clean us up and we humbly surrender to his lordship, he is near to us. That's the story of the Bible. That's the good news. And it begins in the garden. If you don't know what it means to surrender to Jesus' lordship, and you want to know how to have God come near to you, that is something we would love to study with you. And so if you are listening to this sermon and you get to the end and you're like, I don't know what that meant to surrender to his lordship, then Josh or myself or one of our other leaders would be happy to study that with you. So in the garden, Genesis 3, 8, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
they heard God walking in the garden. And what had typically happened is that God would walk in the garden. He would look for his beloved children. He desired their company. He desired their companionship and the unity that they shared together as they walked together. That's why he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the Lord does the same thing with us. He's near to us because he wants our companionship, because he wants our company, because he wants to feel the unity and oneness that we have. But after the sin of Adam and Eve, they were no longer in God's presence. They were no longer in the garden. The Lord was near, but now the Lord's presence is not near to them. And so we also see the Lord coming near in the temple. So David asked God if he could build a temple for him to reside in. And God told him that was a good thing for him to desire, but no, he was not the one. His son Solomon was the one that would build the temple. So I want to read you just a little bit of this um, because I think it's such a great representation of God's glory in the temple. I'm going to read from 2 Chronicles 6, 7 through 18, and then chapter 7, 1 through 3. So this is Solomon speaking. He's actually praying at this point. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for me, for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. And I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have placed the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the people of Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Now he had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had it placed at the center of the outer court. He stood on the platform and knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. That is a posture of prayer that we can also imitate. Spreading out our hands, reaching up toward God, laying flat on the floor, are all proper postures toward God. Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way, you have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me according to my law as you have done. And now, Lord, the God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David come true. But... Will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. 
how much less this temple I have built. And I don't know if you feel like that, but I often feel this way. How can God be near me? It's why God sometimes feels so far away from us, because it's unbelievable that the God of the universe is near to us, that he can be contained inside of us, that he can be contained inside of the temple here that they're talking about is unbelievable. Solomon built the temple, and then in chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, this is what happens. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. And what I want you to see in this verse, guys, is we have gotten way used to being in God's presence, that it doesn't affect us the way that it does then. And we need to be really careful about taking for granted God's nearness to us. We need to do what the people did and fall with our faces to the ground in gratitude and awe that the creator of the universe would come near to us. The Lord is near. And the Lord is near in the birth of Jesus, in Jesus coming as a human, um, I think is one of the ultimate examples, actually, of the Lord coming near. I'm going to read from Matthew 1, 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. What a sweet spirit we get to see about the father of Jesus. He didn't want to do anything to publicly humiliate Mary. He knew this baby wasn't his, but he didn't know until this particular time that that baby came from the Holy Spirit. And so an angel of the Lord now appears to Joseph just as one appeared to Mary. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. If God is with us, God is near to us. And that particular verse, verse 23, is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14. In that particular passage, it's a very complicated passage, so I'm going to simplify it for what you need to know this morning. 
The king of Judah is in the midst of a crisis, and Isaiah tells him that there is nothing to fear because God is with him. That's the central truth of this complicated passage, and it's the central truth of Jesus coming as a baby, and it's the central truth in our lives today that God is near to us. Professor Peter Gomes of Harvard Divinity, Harvard Divinity professor says this, Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a translation of a Hebrew name, but a translation of the living, loving purpose of God to be in and among his creation. God does not abandon that which he makes. He becomes one with us that we may become one with him. The good news is not that humanity reached out to God, but that God reaches out to humanity. The way he comes is very surprising. The way Jesus comes is very surprising. He comes as a baby, and the last thing you would expect is a baby when God comes down. Because what do babies do? Basically four things. They cry, they eat, they sleep, and they poop. Not exactly a beacon of salvation for us. But God has come, and this changes everything. I want to read you an excerpt from a book called God Came Near by Max Lucado because I think it gives such a great example of the humanness of Christ. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. Maybe he wasn't given two kidneys. I don't know. Some people only have one. But anyway, he stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God had come near. He came not as a flash of light or as an unapproachable conqueror, but as one whose first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. No silk, no ivory, no hype, no party, no hoopla. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. And were it not for a group of stargazers, there would have been no gifts. Angels watched as Mary changed Jesus's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him, and the synagogues and had the synagogue leader in Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons. Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure. He was, while completely divine, completely human. He understands what it's like to be us. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds, burped, and had body odor. His feelings got hurt, his feet got tired, and his head ached. To think of Jesus in such a light is, well, it almost seems irreverent, doesn't it? It's not something like we do. It's uncomfortable. It's not something we like to do. It's uncomfortable. It is much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. 
clean the manure from around the manger, wipe the sweat out of his eyes, pretend he never snored or blew his nose or hit his thumb with a hammer. He's easier to stomach that way. There is something about keeping him divine that keeps him distant, packaged, and predictable. But don't do it. For heaven's sake, don't. Let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and muck of our world. For only if we let him in can he pull us out. Listen to him. Love your neighbor was spoken by a man whose neighbors tried to kill him. The challenge to leave family for the gospel was issued by one who kissed his mother goodbye in the doorway. Pray for those who persecute you came from the lips that would soon be begging God to forgive his murderers. I am with you always are the words of a God who in one instant did the impossible to make it all possible for you and me. It all happened in a moment, in one moment, a most remarkable woman, moment. The word became flesh. See, the Lord is near. And when we make him only divine and not human like we are, we rob ourselves of being able to connect with him. We rob ourselves of being able to see that he is near us and be able to engage in a relationship with him. There is never any indication in scripture that someone was afraid to be near Jesus. There were people who misunderstood him. There were people who made fun of him. There were people who didn't believe in him. And there were people who worshiped and followed him. But no one considered him too holy, too perfect, too judgmental, too exclusive to approach. The Lord is near, and that is a good, good thing. And after Jesus was born and was crucified and resurrected, he went back to heaven. And he left with us the spirit, which is the place that we see next in scripture. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That is the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christ living in us. You can't get nearer than that. He hasn't just forgiven us. He's taken up residence in us, and there's real hope in that. So we went from having no hope without God in the world to being reconciled to God. And then you see that we're built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, together, the church. We have gone from being hopeless and alone to being reconciled and inhabited by God and therefore never alone again. Paul never describes God as being out there or distant. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? It's never you against the world. Say no to fear and live with the hope and courage 
that come only when you believe and remember the Lord is near. Psalms 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The Lord longs to be with you. The story of the Bible is about God's desire to be close to the world. It tells us what he's done to come near to us, and he calls us to draw near to him as he draws near to us, because the only way God is not near to us is if we are not near to him. He is always near to us, but we don't have to acknowledge that. We don't have to engage with him. And if we don't, then it's the same as if he weren't near. So why is all of this important to prayer? Well, first, because we need to believe he's near if we're going to talk to him. Too often, we don't feel like God is near. Sometimes you might even feel like God is against you or that God is far away from you or that he's apathetic toward you. But Jesus said, I have called you friends. I have called you friends. Sometimes, I'm sorry, Jesus says, I have called you friends. God wants you through faith to believe he is who he says he who he says he is and he does what he says he will do regardless of what our feelings or emotions tell us so tell god you believe he's there talk to him by faith believing he is faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see be assured and convicted that god is near it gets past the common reasons for not praying because it feels like my prayers hit the ceiling. It gets past the reason of God doesn't hear me. God is far away from me. None of that is true. The Lord is near. So I would suggest that you start with something simple. I call, I don't call this, people call this a breath prayer. And it's because it's a <sighs> an inhale and an exhale, or an exhale and an inhale. And so it's just something simple like, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, give me a heart for you. Jesus, help. Thank you, Jesus. Calling his name as we just do what we normally do, breathe in and breathe out, is a simple way to pray. So first of all, we need to believe he's near to talk to him. Second, when we believe he is and wants to be near to us, we can trust that we can be honest with him. Because if he chooses to be near to us, it must be because he loves us and nothing's going to change that and we can be honest with him. God is closer to you than you are to yourself and he knows your thoughts and he knows your sins and he knows your needs. He knows the worst thing you've ever done or ever thought. Yet he's always moving towards you in love, in compassion, and in mercy. It's the story of the lost son. In the story of the lost son, he wants his inheritance from his father so that he can go off and do what he wants to with it. Normally, you wouldn't even get an inheritance until your father died. But he's saying, I don't want to wait until you die. I want it right now. Give it to me. It's mine. 
And so he takes it and he goes away and he throws it all away. He squanders it all. He goes to, um, what is the name of that place? <laughs> I can't think of it now. He goes to the casino and he squanders it all away. There we go. I can't, I was trying to think of the name of the one in Oklahoma, but I can't think of the name of it. Star. Yes, Windstar. Thank you. He goes to Windstar and he gambles it all away. And then he decides, I can go back to my father and his servants get fed. They have a nice place to live. And I should just go back to him and be his servant. And so scripture says this, Jesus says this. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. When we are honest with God, we take that first step towards him. He runs the rest of the distance to us. We take one, he takes 20 because the Lord is near and wants to be near to us. So try praying honestly like this. This is similar to writing down our worries and our distractions on the paper before we do Sabbath dinner together. It's very similar to this, but it's inhaling, exhaling the worries of the moment and inhaling God's peace. It's exhaling the distracting thoughts you have and inhaling a desire to sense his presence. It's exhaling your preoccupation with yourself and inhaling a desire to know him more completely. It's simple. It's not complicated. So we need to believe he, was, he is near so we can talk to him. When we believe he is near, we can trust him and be honest with him. And he's near, so let's worship him in prayer. Let's put him in his rightful place. Scripture says God inhabits the praise of his people. Worship is praising and acknowledging who God is wherever you are and in whatever situation you're in. Worship is surrender. It's giving your time, your talents, and your treasure. And when you start worshiping him, regardless of where you are, you'll sense his presence. Probably because you're no longer focused on yourself, but on him. When we open the door to our hearts to love him, he will meet us there every single time because the Lord is near. So pray using the Psalms to worship him. I have a really hard time coming up with words to worship God with. It just doesn't seem like there's anything that adequately expresses his bigness or his greatness or my smallness compared to him, my gratefulness for him. And so a lot of times the Psalms are really helpful to give words to what I feel but don't have words for. Psalms 145 to 150 are all Psalms of praise. They're not the only ones, but those are all together in one spot. And so here's an example of that. Psalms 147 verses 3 to 5. Lord, you heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. You determine the number of the stars and call them each by name. Great are you, Lord, and mighty in power. Your understanding has no limit. It puts God in his proper place, in me, in my proper place, and that's what worship is. And then last, he's near so we can cry out to him and find comfort. 
there are times in my life when his nearness was all that I had. There was nothing else that I could lean on. There was nothing else that I could take comfort from. His nearness was all I had, and it was enough. And I know some of you have experienced that as well. We all want someone to be near us. We all want the Lord to be near us. When I was a little girl, I was afraid of so many things. And at the time, you could walk to school by yourself, and it was perfectly safe. It's not like it is now. Um, I would have not let my children out of my sight to walk to school, but people did it all the time when I was a little girl. And I don't know, I had this group of friends that really liked scary stories and that liked to talk about bad guys and maniacs and all these things. And so when I would be walking to school by myself, I would be afraid there was a maniac around the next corner. And I really didn't need anyone to come fight off the bad guys or the maniacs because I knew somehow that they weren't a threat to me, not a real threat or a big threat, maybe I should say. I just wanted somebody with me so I wouldn't be alone. Once I had somebody with me, walking with me, I just didn't feel alone anymore, so I didn't feel scared anymore. And that's what God does for us. He comes and he walks beside us when we're scared, when we're hurt, when we're fearful, when we don't know what we're going to do. And he is with us. As God's child, you simply cannot be alone. No matter what your situation is, God is near no matter what situation you find yourself in. No matter how many bad guys or maniacs are hanging out, God is always near. Jesus came to earth to face what you face and to defeat what defeats you so that you would have hope. That's what hope is. His nearness is your good and it is enough. Even in the midst of desperately hard situations, in your darkest moments, and in your moments of great joy and celebration, he longs to be a part of that. So pray by crying out to him. Invite him into whatever situation you don't want to be alone in. And to wrap it up, I want to read from Psalms 139. If you have never read this, or if you haven't read it recently, you should read the whole thing because it's very sweet and very comforting. I'm just going to read the first 12 verses. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You can't run away from God. You can't get away from him. He's always near to you. Again, 
You can refuse to acknowledge his nearness, but he's there because he loves us. He already knows our thoughts. He already knows what we're going to say, but he wants to hear us say it so we don't have to be afraid to tell him. He knows us. He searched our hearts. We can cut ourselves off from people, but we can't get away from God. And because God is near, there's no limit to his knowledge of me. I can hide my sin. I can hide my past. I can hide my apathy from people around me. But God sees through my masks and he sees through my games and he knows me as I really am. God has not and will not ever abandon you. He never abandons anyone on whom he has set his love. Nor does Jesus ever lose track of his sheep, is what the Gospels tell us. The Lord is near because he chooses to be. He didn't have to be, but he wanted to be because he loves you. It's been the case since the garden. It was the case with the temple. It was the case with Jesus. It's the case with the Holy Spirit. It's the story of good news throughout the Bible. Prayer is the way we communicate and commune with him. And the best way to learn how to pray is to pray. That's the best way to learn how. So spend some time talking with him this week. He's already as near as the air around you. You can't get away from him. He's near, so talk to him and pray. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts in your minds, in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. And praise team, y'all can go on up for, come on up for the last song. Father, we rejoice in your nearness. We know that we don't deserve it, but we are so appreciative of it. Father, help us to recognize what a gift your presence is to us. Teach us not to ignore it, but to reach out and touch you as you're near to us, to reach out and talk to you as you're ready to listen, to reach out and listen to you as you're ready to talk. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to access your nearness. Remind us we are never alone, no matter what we're walking through. We love you so much. And we thank you for drawing near to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.